0: Section 2 of United States Senate Election, Expulsion, and Censure Cases, 1793-1990, to by Ann M. Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Introduction, Part 2. Discipline. Procedures, Laws, and Committees. As with the contested election cases, The Senate's policies and procedures for disciplining its members evolved over the years. In the earliest disciplinary incident, in 1796, the Senate decided that investigations of charges should follow correct judicial procedures. And since the individual who had been charged with committing perjury before his election to the Senate, case three, had been neither indicted nor convicted for the offense, there was no reason to carry out an inquiry. The next year, however, the Senate established the precedent that it need not wait for any action by the courts before expelling a member, Case 5. And ten years later, the Senate further emphasized its independence of the judicial process by continuing its own investigation even after an acquittal by the courts, Case 7. During the debates on these 1797 and 1807 cases, the Senate permitted the member in question to be actively represented by defense counsel. But in subsequent cases, the Senate refused to allow non senators to participate in floor discussions. In general, the Senate has taken disciplinary action against a member only for misdeeds committed while serving in the body rather than for matters that occurred previously, and has moved particularly decisively on matters that fall entirely within its jurisdiction, such as infractions of Senate rules. Sometimes, even though a senator charged in newspaper reports with wrongdoing requested a formal inquiry to clear his name, the Senate declined to refer the matter to a committee. Such incidents not referred to committee do not appear in this book, but have been chronicled in the earlier editions described in the preface. No federal statutes specifically governed the behavior of members of Congress until 1853, when a law forbade senators and representatives to accept bribes or to receive compensation for presenting claims before federal agencies the law also barred from public office, quote, forever, unquote, any government official convicted of receiving a bribe. An 1864 law set penalties of fine and imprisonment for members who were illegally paid for providing services before a federal agency. No further laws governing senators' conduct were added until 1958 when Congress adopted a code of ethics applicable to all federal employees. Although this code had no force of law, it urged officials to uphold high standards of performance and not to accept favors or benefits designed to influence the performance of their governmental duties. During the 19th century, the Senate generally referred disciplinary cases to committees specially appointed for the purpose. Although most of the Civil War expulsion cases were not referred to committees at all, several went to the Committee on the Judiciary. In the 20th century, until the 1960s, the Privileges and Elections Committee, or, after 1947, that subcommittee of the Rules and Administration Committee, handled most censure or expulsion cases. A major change in the modern era occurred with creation in 1964 of a permanent Select Committee on Standards and Conduct that was empowered to investigate allegations of wrongdoing without waiting for specific referral by the Senate. Composed of an equal number of Republican and Democratic senators who ensure bipartisanship, the committee, in addition to handling disciplinary cases, was charged with preparing a Code of Conduct for U.S. Senators in order to provide a formal set of standards for senatorial behavior. The code that it drafted and that the Senate adopted in 1968 regulated outside employment and some aspects of campaign fundraising, including the purposes for which campaign contributions could be used, a topic that had caused difficulties in one case the committee handled, Case 135. The code also required senators and top staff members to file annual financial disclosure reports, although they were not to be made public. After the Watergate scandal aroused further public concern about political ethics, the Senate in 1977, adopted a new code of conduct that required public financial disclosure and restricted outside employment. It also limited to 15 percent of a senator's salary the amount that could be earned in outside income, although the Senate later rescinded that provision. The outside income limit was aimed particularly at perceived conflicts of interest that could arise when senators accepted large payments of honoraria in return for speaking to organizations that had an interest in legislation before Congress. Not until 1991 did the Senate entirely ban the acceptance of honoraria. The 1977 Code of Conduct also replaced the Committee on Standards and Conduct with a permanent Select Committee on Ethics, whose membership would also be equally divided between the parties. The newly constituted committee established a several-stage process to be followed in each inquiry, including careful safeguards designed to protect the rights of the member in question. Credible information about a possible ethical violation could trigger a, quote, preliminary inquiry, close quote, Followed, if appropriate, by an quote, initial review unquote, to determine whether evidence warranted moving to the next stage. If four of the six committee members voted that there was sufficient evidence, the committee could then undertake a full quote, investigation, unquote, which must permit the individual to appear at a hearing and call and cross examine witnesses. A recommendation for disciplinary action by the committee, again, required a vote of four committee members to ensure that the decision had bipartisan support. The committee had authority to hire an outside counsel if it determined that one was needed. In 1978, Congress passed the Ethics in Government Act that applied the public financial disclosure requirements to all three branches of the federal government. A decade later, the 1989 Ethics Reform Act restricted lobbying by former members of Congress and executive branch officials for a year after leaving office, and placed limits on the value of gifts that senators and staff could accept. As it reviewed cases in the 1980s and 1990s, the Ethics Committee continued to develop and refine its procedures and may adopt further changes in the future. Some senators, for example, have expressed concern about the committee's multiple role as prosecutor, judge, and jury, but as of this writing, the body has yet to agree on a better arrangement. Because the committee may conduct investigations without specific referral from the Senate, it has reviewed a substantial number of possible transgressions that have been called to its attention but have not warranted taking formal action. Even when the committee has held public hearings, such cases are not included in this volume if the panel has issued no formal report calling for action by the full Senate. Types of Disciplinary Cases In disciplining its members, the Senate has two basic forms of punishment available to it. To expel a senator by a two-thirds vote, as provided in the Constitution, Article I, Section 5, or, by a majority vote, to censure a member for less serious misconduct. Expulsion. In all its history, the United States Senate Has managed to muster the necessary two thirds vote to expel one of its members on only 15 occasions, all of them involving disloyalty to the United States. In 1797, William Blount of Tennessee became the first senator to be expelled because of his involvement in a conspiracy that the Senate determined to be, quote, inconsistent with his public trust, unquote. Case 5. The remaining 14 expulsions occurred during the Civil War for disloyalty to the Union. Initially, when Southern states began seceding in the early months of 1861, the Senate was perplexed and uncertain how to handle the unfamiliar circumstance. After the first six senators, led by Jefferson Davis of Mississippi, withdrew from the Senate in January, the body could not agree on any action, finally voting in March simply to declare the seats vacant in order to avoid officially recognizing that it was possible for a state to secede from the Union. Case 34. By July, however, war was in progress, and the Senate moved quickly to expel ten other senators whose states had left the Union. Case 36. In December 1861 and January 1862, the body expelled an additional four members who were known to have taken positions in the Confederate Army or appeared to have offered aid and comfort to the enemy. Cases 38, 39, 40. The Senate has considered expulsion in an additional 16 instances, on charges that include corruption, disloyalty, or abuse of official position, but has cleared many of these members after an investigation. Ten senators have been indicted while in office, but only three were convicted. The conviction of one other was later overturned by the Supreme Court. In such instances, the Senate continued to act independently of the courts, sometimes exonerating senators before their cases came to trial. Case 104. Because of the severity of the punishment in expulsion cases, however, the Senate usually waited for the courts to act and only considered expelling those who were actually convicted, even though the body recognized that its members could be held to a higher standard than obedience to the law. In at least one instance, Case 92, the Senate even waited for the appeals process to be completed before preparing to move against the individual. In fact, the Supreme Court's 1906 decision upholding the conviction in that case specifically stated that conviction, quote, did not operate ipso facto to vacate the seat of the convicted senator, nor compel the Senate to expel him or to regard him as expelled by force alone of the judgment, unquote. Burton v. United States, 202, U.S. 344. In other words, it remained the Senate's duty to carry out its own discipline of the erring member, quite apart from any sentence imposed by the courts. Two of the Senators, whose convictions were not overturned, chose to resign before the body could act on expulsion. Cases 92, 140. Censure. A less severe sanction employed by the Senate against its members is censure. Although this measure has no tangible effect on a senator's ability to hold his office, such a formal statement of disapproval from his peers can have a powerful psychological impact on an individual. The Senate censured nine of its members between 1811 and 1990 for transgressions ranging from breach of confidentiality to fighting in the Senate chamber, and more generally for, quote, conduct that tends to bring the Senate into dishonor and disrepute, unquote. In censure cases, the Senate has not felt as strong a need as with expulsion to wait for the completion of the judicial process before acting to express its condemnation of particular behavior. In voting to censure, remember, the Senate sometimes has varied the specific words employed, using condemn or denounce, but the meaning and impact is essentially the same. The common factor being that the full Senate votes to censure the member. Most of those chastised in this manner have either failed to be reelected or declined to run for reelection. Other sanctions. During the floor debate on some censure cases, defenders of the member in question have urged the Senate to use a softer term, such as reprimand. To date, however, The full Senate has never adopted this term, although it has been used by the House of Representatives. In fact, under its rules, the Ethics Committee may only issue a reprimand for misconduct if the individual in question agrees. In one case in the 1990s, the committee did vote to reprimand a member and presented its report on the Senate floor. But because this milder sanction did not involve action by the Senate as a whole, the case is not included in this book. The same is true of another instance in which the committee rebuked a senator, in that case simply announcing its decision at a press conference rather than in the Senate itself. The Ethics Committee has also employed such lesser indications of disapproval as either a public or private letter of admonition to a member regarding a particular action. In addition, the committee issues advisory opinions to members and staff who seek guidance on the appropriateness of proposed conduct. End of Section 2. And End of the Introduction.